Ha 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 
von Ihnen unbeachtet, aber der Herr hat die Stadt des Vorschlags zu verlassen und dann hat er das Buch binnen einer Woche vorzustellen. Und als wir die Gerichte gegen Sie vorgehen müssen, was wird dann gekommen, wie Sie erfolgen werden? Das wird jetzt wie ein Bekannt in Ihrem Fall im Schatz, die von Ihnen unbeachtet, aber der Herr hat das Buch platt ist, wenn Sie zu verlieren und dann hat er das Buch binnen einer Woche vorzustellen. Das Werk ist wie allgemein bekannt in jeder Form geschätzt, die von Ihnen unberechtigterweise hergestellte Schallplatte ist vollständig zu vernichten und danach weiß darüber uns binnen einer Woche zu stellen. Andernfalls werden wir gerichtlich gegen Sie vorgehen müssen, was beträchtliche Kosten für Sie hervorrufen wird. Das Werk ist wie allgemein bekannt in jeder Form geschätzt, die von Ihnen unberechtigterweise hergestellte Schallplatte ist vollständig zu vernichten und danach weiß darüber uns binnen einer Woche zu stellen. Andernfalls werden wir gerichtlich gegen Sie vorgehen müssen, was beträchtliche Kosten für Sie hervorrufen wird. Das Werk ist wie allgemein bekannt in jeder Form geschützt. Nicht von Ihnen unberechtigterweise hergestellte Schallplatte ist vollständig zu vernichten und der Nachweis darüber uns binnen einer Woche zuzustellen. Einfalls werden wir gerichtlich gegen Sie vorgehen müssen, was beträchtliche Kosten für Sie erfahren wird. Das Werk ist wie allgemein bekannt in jeder Form geschützt. Die von Ihnen unberechtigterweise hergestellte Schallplatte ist vollständig zu vernichten und der Nachweis darüber uns binnen einer Woche zuzustellen. Einfalls werden wir gerichtlich gegen Sie vorgehen müssen, was beträchtliche Kosten für Sie erfahren wird. Das Werk ist wie allgemein bekannt in jeder Form geschickt, die von Ihnen unberechtigter Weise hergestellte Schallplatte sich vollständig zu vernichten und danach weiter darüber uns binnen einer Woche zuzustellen. Allenfalls würden wir gerichtlich gegen Sie vorgehen müssen, was beträchtliche Kosten für Sie hervorrufen wird. Listening to CITR FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. You just heard right there, Yap Blanc with Dutch Lyric. Today on the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show, interviews with Jerry the Beaver Mathers and Phil May of The Pretty Things. In fact, this show is dedicated to Phil May of The Pretty Things, who passed away a little while ago. Also, the show is dedicated to Ken Osmond, who played Eddie Haskell on Jerry Mather's show, Leave It to Beaver. He passed away as well. So this show goes out to Ken Osmond, Eddie Haskell, and Phil May, singer, screamer, of the pretty things. Right now, to prepare you for Phil May and to prepare you for Jerry the Beaver Mathers, I thought I would play this song from 1962 sung by Jerry the Beaver Mathers, the Beef, singing Wind Up Toy from 1962. And in an interview from 1996 with Jerry 
the Beeve Mathers on the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. Here is a wind-up toy by Jerry Mathers from 1962. Wind-up toy, wind-up toy. Hey, when you gonna treat me like a real-life boy? You operate me with the turn of a key. Wind-up boy, that's me. show and then a dance you hold my hand but no romance i want to hold you tight wind up toy wind up toy hey when you're gonna treat me like a real life boy you operate me with the turn of a key wind up boy that's me turn me off put me on snap your fingers and watch me Wind up, boy, that's me. Wind up, toy, wind up, toy. Hey, when you gonna treat me like a real life boy? You operate me with the turn of a key. Wind up, toy, that's me. Who are you? I'm Jerry Mathers. For many, many years, I was the beaver on Leave it to Beaver. And now you're here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Certainly am. Lovely place. Great place to be. Right here at the home show. That's an interesting promotion, isn't it? Well, actually, it, it is. Kind of, I do a lot of uh, improvements to my own house. In fact, I just got finished renovating my entire house because of the earthquake down in uh, Los Angeles. So spent almost a year rebuilding my house. I did everything from putting three new chimneys, uh, three new bathrooms, a whole new kitchen. And one of the companies that I work with, I just uh, took a, an auto parts store, a 5,000-foot uh, square foot auto parts store, and turned it into three offices and a tech lab for my technicians. So I do a lot of renovating. So it's, uh, it makes sense. So you must watch Home Improvement then, Beaver. I do. You get a lot of good tips from there. Do you mind being called Beaver at all? Not at all. It's something I'm very proud of. So uh, it's nothing that uh, I'm ashamed of. It's uh, a great show. It stood the test of time. It's been on almost 40 years. It's on in 80 countries and 40 languages. So it's, uh, you know, it's just only an honor that it's even still on. It's not the first time you've been in Vancouver. You're always around Vancouver, aren't you? Didn't they bring you up for a Beaver promotion as well, something at Science World? Actually, there's a, a Stephen Lowe production, which is in the IMAX format, and it plays all over the country, and I go and I lecture on beavers when, I do, uh, when I'm with that film. But it's, uh, it's a very interesting, uh, this Vancouver area is very, very interesting. I like it up here a lot. That is wild, like the beaver lecturing about beavers. Well, it's the kind of thing when you've been associated with something like that for 40 years, you tend uh, even peripherally to, to pick up a lot of information about it. So it's something that's very, very easy to talk about. 
Mr. Mathers, Mather, is it Mathers or Mathers? Well, it doesn't really matter. Uh, actually, it is Mathers, but uh, everyone up here seems to think it's Mathers, but I answer to both. You know why? Because Brian Adams, I mean, Banal Adams, that rock star, he lives on Mathers Avenue, so everybody probably thinks about that. That'd be fine with me, as long as they know, you know, as, as I say, if, if it's close, then I answer to it. Well, Beaver, then, what is happiness? Happiness is... Well, happiness is a record that I did for Atlantic about, uh, oh, probably 30 years ago. It was number one in Hawaii, Alaska. Yeah, happy, happiness is money. And I, I actually, I got that record. Oh. I have it here. It's on a compilation here, and there's a song here. It goes, Happiness is Money by Jerry and... Uh, or, sorry, by Beaver and the Trapper. It's Happiness is Having. Happiness is having, sorry. So there's several things that happiness is having, but it was Beaver and the Trappers. We recorded for uh, about three and a half years. It was when I was in high school. We used to play all the local bands, and uh, we'd play the sock ops and things like that. And the different Was that after the show? That was after the show, wasn't it? From about 63 on. This is a compilation record, but I found it fascinating where there's a song there by Beaver and the Trappers. Who was the guy that co-authored the song there? His name is Richard Corelli. played Richard on um, Leave it to Beaver. He's now a director. He directs a lot of the uh, Saturday night lineup on ABC. Because Beaver and the Trappers, the lyrics for that song were pretty wild, like blowing my mind and coming down. What exactly was that alluding to? Well, it was actually what happiness is. Blowing my mind and coming down. And what about the other great lyric on there? Come on, baby, spread a little happiness my way. Well, I don't remember that one, but as I say, it was a long time ago. What, what do you think Ward, I mean, your dad, Beaver, would think about you singing a song like, Come on, baby, spread some happiness my way. As I say, I don't quite remember the lyrics going that way, but it's pretty close. Well, come on, baby, spread a little happiness my way. Well, you guessed it. Well, come on, baby, spread a little happiness my way. Well, come on, baby, spread a little happiness my way. One of the songs also that you did it was Wind Up Toy. That's more fluffy, isn't it? That's nicer. It's not as controversial. Well, actually, we did about uh, 15 altogether, so uh, there's quite a few songs with Beaver and the Trappers. I've never heard Wind Up Toy. Do you know any more songs besides Happiness Is and Wind Up Toy or, or any what Wind Up Toy's about? Wind Up Toy? Uh, let's see. Not really. As I say, there were... Oh, th- you, both, you began to sing it right there. Well, I was trying to remember the melody, but it's very, very hard. It was almost 30 years ago, and as I say, we, only, we would do each song for about uh, six or eight weeks and play it, and uh, uh, Wind Up Toy was done for Atlantic. Um, this one was done for uh, Adco, which is Atlantic's second al- uh, line, but uh, they were mostly done. There was never an album. They were all 45s. It's quite interesting that a lot of um, TV stars that were younger got involved in bands. Didn't Don Grady, or I think I know Don Grady, My Three Sons, at a band called The Yellow Balloon. Actually, Don Grady still does a lot of um, music work. He uh, d- now does music for movies and TV. Did you ever play with The Yellow Balloon at all? No, actually, each band was separate, so, you know, you wouldn't uh, cross over. Um, did play with Desi Arnaz a lot because we would play uh, the same. He was uh, a contemporary of mine, so when we'd play, a lot of times we'd jam together. What was his band called? Desi, Dino, Dizu, Diniv, Dino. Wasn't that Mitzi, Bitchy, Bully, and Titch? It was, what was it called again? Uh, I don't even, I don't think Desi. that. Desi. Dino, because it was Dean Martin's son who was killed in a, uh, in a jet crash. He was flying an uh, uh, Air National Guard plane, and I can't remember who the third person was, but it was their three names. And then it was Don Grady's and those Beaver and the Trappers. Any other kind of teen TV star movies? 
kind of um, uh, sorry bands? Actually, you seem to be the band expert. So I, I remember that Don had one. Uh, let's see, Desi Arnaz had one. The guy from Courtship of Eddie Fathers. Actually, he still has one. He now has a punk band. Yeah, Brandon Cruz. Mm-hmm. I don't know the name of his, but I know he still works the circuit. Punkful Swallowed, I think they're called. That's, yeah, you could have got it by me. Oh, yeah, and Billy Mummy from Lost in Space Beaver. He also has a band, doesn't he? Billy Mummy, you know, from Lost in Space? Uh, he could. As I say, I'm not really sure about that, but if you say so, I'll believe it. I went saw him in a guitar shop, and I heard he did. Uh, well, that's probably true then. Who are you hanging around at that time with? Like, what particular people? Like, did you ever get to um, come on down and blow some brains with, like, Agnes Moorhead or Lisa Loring from the Adams Family at all? No, I actually didn't know them. They were, uh, those shows were actually done in the late 60s. Leave it to Beaver was actually off the air by then. So who was that crew that was hanging around you at that time? Well, actually, it was mostly people from high school, so it was uh, mostly not actors. It was people that uh, I was in high school with at the time. So Jerry Mathers, Jerry Mathers the Beaver, right? The Beaver, right? You can call me. That doesn't bother me a bit. Guess whose favorite TV series is Leave it to Beaver? Oh, probably quite a few people. It shows in 80 countries and 40 languages. Kurt. Kurt Co. Ah, yes. Kurt Cobain of Nirvana's favorite TV series was Leave it to Beaver. That's what he said. I, I guess we'll never get to verify that now, but I, I had heard that. But uh, there are several people that have said that. That must make you feel kind of nice. Yeah, actually, it's nice to have people like that that, uh, you know, are very, very talented. Actually, he's a very sad, sad case in some ways because uh, he was very talented and then, uh, you know, committed suicide. So he should have taken a little more from Leave it to Beaver, possibly. Gilligan's Island, are you aware of that show at all, Beaver? I'm aware of it. I don't watch it very much, but I am aware of it. Well, actually, were you ever on the love boat at all? Yes, I was. I was on their very last episode. What happened on that episode? Because I think they're coming back with it, aren't they? What, what was the scenario? What was the plot or for that one? Actually, it was a two-hour movie, so I was in uh, a very small part of it. I was on uh, at dinner with uh, quite a few, uh, let's see, uh, I think it was Ricardo Montalbaum and some other people. So uh, it, was, it was a fun time. As I said, I just went in. I worked one day on it. Um, they tried to have as many people as they could because it was their last show. You never did Hollywood Squares? Actually, I was. I was a center square in Hollywood Squares for about uh, 15 weeks. Who else was in the show at that time? Hollywood Squares. Was Paul Lynn on at that time? No, I took Paul Lynn's place. Oh, was that after he passed away? No, he was uh, doing something else at the time. This was in the... You replaced the beaver, replaced, replaced Paul Lynn? Well, I don't know if I replaced him. He had something else to do, and I, went in, I was the middle square. He was the center square. So, uh, as I say, it wasn't really like a replacement. Those, those squares uh, switched all the time. That's kind of a big kind of chore to fill, though, Paul, kind of, in a, in a way, Paul Lynn. Actually, this, the center square, he, they, Paul Lynn wasn't the only person. There was quite a few different people. Phyllis Diller used to do it. Uh, I can't even remember all the other people, but it was a fun time. I mean, it was very challenging because they'd go in and ask you a lot of very obscure questions, and you always had to come up with an answer. I kind of mentioned this earlier, but, you know, you've done stuff at the IMAX Theater for Beavers, promoting Beavers. You are the Beaver. Very definitely. And now you're here at the boat show, and I mentioned Gilligan, I guess... No, 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 I'm at the home show. Oh, my God, I'm just getting confused here, because I'm looking at Jerry Mathers, the actual Beaver. He is the Beaver. This is the Beaver. Hello, how are you doing? Pretty good. Um, oh, uh, well, Gilligan was at the boat show, because, you know, Gilligan's Island and boats kind of go together, right? Sounds good to me. 
Now, how exactly does Leave It to Beaver and the Home go together? And this is the Home Show, and it's happening right now in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And you can go come out and check the Home Show here and go see the Beaver if you're interested. How, what's the correlation between that? Does that feel a tiny bit kind of stretching it, you know, and, you know beavers on IMAXs and beavers at home shows? Actually not. I've done quite a bit of home renovation. I just got finished redoing my house, spent almost a year because of the earthquake in Los Angeles. One of the companies I work for, I just rehabbed a building. I took it from an auto parts store. I built uh, basically five offices, a tech room for my computer people. What do you do with the computer people? Uh, I have several computer companies. One of them, uh, I have a program for wide format printing. I have a, a, a beauty program. So I have several different programs that uh, I own for printing. Have you met Bill Gates at all? Uh, I've been at seminars with him. I haven't, uh, I haven't met him and spoken with him for a very long time, but I've been at different seminars with him. Because you seem deserving to be invited to his wedding. Alice Cooper was invited to his wedding, and was the beaver invited to Bill Gates' wedding? Nope. Sorry, nope. Well, maybe if he gets daughters and sons at Mary or something. Possibly. Also, finally, winding up here, Beaver, Jerry Mathers, Harry Shearer, he was the guy from Spinal Tap and The Simpsons. He was originally going to be Eddie Haskell, wasn't he? Actually, he was in the original pilot. The character's name at that time was not uh, Eddie Haskell, but he did play that part. So what happened? They found Ken Osmond and thought he was better. Because it kind of been, would have been wild to have like Harry Shearer of Spinal Tap as Eddie Haskell. Well, this was before he ever did that. He'd, I don't think he'd work very much when he did it, and they just thought that Ken Osmond uh, played the part better, but I'm sure he would have done a good job had he gotten it. And then there were all these other kind of weird kind of tie-ins, like who really was Eddie Haskell? You know, like who was Paul McCartney? Who was Eddie Haskell? A lot of people thought he might have been John Nawad Holmes, the porn star. Did you ever hear of that? Oh, very definitely. In fact, uh, John Holmes took his name, did several uh, movies under his name. Ken Osmond sued him. Uh, it was about a $25 million suit. He lost it because they said that it actually was a satire of him. So they lost the suit? He lost the suit, but he did sue John Holmes for using his name, and as I say, they said it was satire. It's a California precedent-setting case. It's in the uh, California Supreme Court. That's interesting. Eddie Haskell versus John Nawad Holmes. Mm-hmm. And, but I guess in the end, Eddie Haskell got revenge because poor John Holmes, I guess, died. Actually, it wasn't Eddie Haskell. It was Ken Osmond. All oh, right, but you are Jerry Mathers, the beaver. That's right. So anything else you'd like to add to people out there in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, all Jerry Mathers, the beaver, the beaver? No, I think you pretty well covered it all. All right, well, keep on rocking in a free world and do-do-do-do-do. Do-do.
Hi, this is Jerry Mathers, the Beaver, and you're listening to CITR 101.9 FM. And that was Happiness is Having from 1966 by Beaver and the Trappers featuring Jerry Mathers, who was interviewed by me, Nardwar, the Human Serviette, in 1996 at the Home Show in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. That interview and song went out to Eddie Haskell, who recently passed away, Ken Osmond. Right now, I'm going to play an interview from May the 27th, 1998, with Phil May, the singer of The Pretty Things, who sadly also recently passed away. I'm going to begin by playing The Pretty Things from 1965 with Buzz the Jerk. And then an interview from May the 27th, 1998 with Phil May of The Pretty Things. And then a whole bunch of Pretty Things music. Rest in peace, Phil May. is in the pretty things? Uh, well, in the other room I have Mr. Dick Taylor twinkling away on his guitar. The twang's the thing Taylor, he's known as. And the other boys, are, I think, are probably jetting into Kennedy as we speak. They're due to arrive in the next hour or so. And who are they? Like, what are their names? Who are the other we members? Skip Allen on drums, Wally Allen on bass, John Povey on keyboards, and Frank Holland on the second guitar. Now, with the exception of Frank, that's pretty much the 1965-66 Emotions lineup? That's, yeah, that's, that's the third album lineup. Phil, how do you think I know about you guys? How do you think I, Nardwar the Human Serviette here in Vancouver, know about you guys? Um, 
Because you're very diligent and do your research. No, um, it wasn't because your voice is on a deodorant commercial. Isn't your voice in a deodorant commercial, Phil May of the Pretty Things? I think it was, yeah, doing uh, It's All Over Now or something, isn't it? I can't remember which one it was. So it's not because your voice is in a deodorant commercial, and it's not because you uh, teach Twiggy tennis. Do you teach Twiggy tennis? I didn't teach Twiggy. I taught, um, who have I taught? Dave Gilmore? Um... Uh, Hayley Mills, uh, and lots of people. So it's uh, not because of your tennis teaching, it's not because of your deodorant work, it's two words, it's because of Mike Stacks and Ugly Things fanzine. Mike Stacks, the infamous San Diego rock and roll bandit. He has just kept the spirit of the pretty things alive, at least on the west coast of North America here, for years and years and years. Uh, when did you first meet Mike, and do you realize what he's done? Like, people like me know about the pretty things because of Mike. The well, we get ugly things sent to us every time it comes out, so we keep up to date that way. In fact, Mike was just over visiting the band and Dick uh, about two or three weeks ago. Two things that have always fascinated me about the pretty things that I actually saw in Ugly Things was that you were banned for life out of New Zealand. Is that still to this day in New Zealand and Australia? Are you st has anybody ever checked to see no, if you're... No, we've never, we've never tried it. I mean, <laughs> whether they let us in or not. I'm sure it's one of those things that, you know, it's probably on the statute book, but, it, you know, it could probably be revoked. But um, we've never bothered to check it. I mean, one tour of New Zealand was enough for us. Now, what particularly would set off the officials to do this, Phil? Like, why would they ban the pretty things? Is there one little incident or one thing that pops into your mind when you say ban, you just think of, you know, the chair incident or just something? What, what caused that? I, I think one of the things that really upset them was the sort of amount of theatres that got burnt during the, theat during, during the performances. Viv became a pyromaniac during that tour for some reason. And this is your f old drummer, Viv Prince. Yeah, he would crawl around the stage with a lighted sort of um, taper. And if he wasn't trying to set light to Brian Pendleton's trousers while he was playing a guitar solo, he'd be setting light to the curtains. And you'd have odd people from the theatre come running on stage and throwing buckets of water over him to put him out. So did you play an entire set, or did you have to stop your set because of the fires that happened? No, no, we kept playing. We're, we're professionals. And then, no, we don't let a little fire stop us. Did you have to run out of the theater afterwards at all? No, what happened was they, they pulled the power on us um, because they said we were immoral and corrupting. And the audience revolted, broke up the chairs and set lights up in the middle of the theater. So in some ways they got their just desserts. It seems like a lot of parallels, like in the 1970s, you know, the Sex Pistols, when they came to America, they played Texas. Now, when the Pretty Things do an overseas tour, you don't go to America, you go to New Zealand and Australia, like unknown areas, and you <laughs> create all this stuff. Hang on, we had our only number one in New Zealand. All the sheep bought it. And when was that? What year was that Try tour? To me. What, what year 65. was that? 65. 65. We were number one in New Zealand. And, Phil, another thing that really, when I think of the pretty things, I think of Viv Prince's face totally smashed in. There's that famous picture of him. He's smashed in by some Inger Johansson's brother. Nobody ever remembers Inger Johansson's brother's name, but what you're, you're, that's a real sharp, startling image, isn't it? Yeah, and, I mean, it actually happened. They were drinking buddies till about ten minutes before that uh, photograph was taken. And the guy was, I guess, a little punchy. And from being, I left them arm in arm, staggering along a street in Copenhagen. 
only to get back to my ho hotel room to find a message saying, go to casualty, Viv's very badly beaten up. Um, and that was the official police photography taken of him when he was brought into the hospital. And it's on the cover of one of your CDs, isn't it? Well, yeah, because in some ways, because of the title, Bloody But Unbowed, um, it seemed appropriate. Phil, where is Viv now? Is he in, he's in Portugal. So he's not in, is he a Hell's Angels member? He was, and he was thrown out for bad behavior. Phil, I also saw a video of you guys playing where I think it's Viv. He goes nuts, and like he runs all over the audience banging this cymbal, all while like, the crack of his ass is popping out of his tight white pants. Oh, no, you're thinking of Skipper. That Skipper is coming over on the plane as we speak. Oh, really? Who is it? It's not Viv Prince. What, what video am I referring to? Because this is an amazing gig. Like, seriously, your drummer's like running around banging on the cymbal. He, he, he used to take the cymbal off of a, and, and to walk through the kit and go into the audience with it or climb up the gant lighting gantries with a symbol between his teeth. I mean, he'll probably do that Sunday. And that's Skip Allen? Skip Allen, yeah. Where was that particular gig that I saw the video of? could have of? been one, but <laughs> I can't tell you. I mean, there's so many he's done that at. I mean, the thing is, um, on the encores, Skip comes out and sings with me, and not, a, not sort of, he's not happy just with that. He then... If there's something he can climb, when we were in Germany, he climbed this light tower, which was about 30, 40 feet in the sky, and had a roadie going up behind him with a microphone trying to sort of reach him so he could actually mic up the cymbal. It's quite hilarious. Where did you guys buy your clothes? Because those are really nice pants that Skip is wearing. Where did you guys <laughs> buy your clothes? <laughs> I think he got them out of a thrift shop. They don't fit him. Was there a like you said, you can see the crack of his ass. Was there a particular place in England that you bought your clothes in the 60s? Like, was there well, a originally it was Carnaby Street. That's addressed by all of the bands, you know, Stones. Was there a particular shop, though, that you went to? Um, like a particular tailor that did it? Like, you know, like Nudie did all those Elvis suits. Was there a British guy that did all the band suits at all? Yeah, there was. Um, I mean, Mr. Freedom was one of them. Um... That was a very good shop. And then, because we had Granny Takes a Trip in the psychedelic times. But the, the first place in Carnaby Street where we always bought our stuff was John Stevens. Did you ever see Brian Jones looking bad, like with the crack of his ass showing? I no, mean, Brian was immaculate. Yeah, because you lived with him. At he, he, was, he was a complete sort of fussy bastard about his shirt collars and his... He was a nightmare, you know. I mean, it took him more time to dress than a woman. What? Before he could be seen by his public. Do you think that possibly he was killed by his chauffeur? Because there's that rumor he was killed by his chauffeur. Well, Dick knows a bit more about it than I do. But they, they weren't. It wasn't the chauffeur. It was two building brothers who were with him at the time of his death. I'm being asked if Brian was killed by his chauffeur. And you are filming of the pretty things. <laughs> Dick's not sure. But, but I mean, the whole thing around it's very murky. Phil. Who actually hung around 13 Chester? Who was the gang that hung around there? Like, who, who hung... That was where you lived, that's where the Stones or Brian Jones hung out. Who else was the crew that hung around there? Um, well, it was a very, very strange mixture of gangsters and people like PJ Provey, um, uh, the ones from Scandal, uh, Mandy Rice Davis, uh, Judy Garland, Diana Dawes. How about Kathy McGowan or Cecilia Black? Scylla uh, Black. No, yes. No, we, didn't, we didn't have much truck with Scylla. Kathy was sort of 
she was a kind of bit of an icon. You know, she was a sort of television person. Now, I didn't really have much friendship with Carol. I mean, I've, I've spoken to her since, but no, no. It wasn't really our, our kind of part of our, 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 well, our tribe, as you call it. I mean, basically what happened was we'd be partying, then we'd go off and do a gig somewhere and come back to the country three days later and the party was still going on. What did the manager of the Yardbirds, Giorgio Gamelski, look like? It's such a great name, Giorgio Gamelski. He, he looks like his name, Giorgio. He, he, um, he looks like a kind of angry Hungarian. Um, and I last saw him in an interview about the Stones program for the Discovery Channel. And he looked, you know, exactly like his name, if, if that means anything. But, um... I didn't have much to do with Giorgio. It wasn't really the Yardbirds and the Pretty Things. and the, Everybody had their own turf and own territory and their own clubs they played in. And there wasn't a lot of cross crossover playing in terms of we didn't play the marquee and the Yardbirds didn't play the 100 club. I've never seen of you guys playing actually in Germany really amazing stuff doing Honey I Need and like your bass players on his knees your hair is totally long Phil you're like doing this crazy crouch dancing do you know what video I'm referring to there at all it's like a German concert well it could have been the Star Club I suppose it seemed to be outside oh outside 
God, we've done so many out, outdoor gigs I, I, without seeing it. I mean, I'd probably identify it if I could see it. People... Did playing or skip or... I'm not totally sure who was playing. It was kind of hard to see because it was a really grainy shot. Where You're not thinking of the blocker, are you? It could blocker be. Festival. That could be it. That's Holland. And that was when the, the the riot police come in and the whole thing gets very nasty with the crowd charging the riot police with the with a big piece of um, big piece of steel pole which they use as a battering ram against the police. I was looking at that. I was wondering what was going on. And was all that live on television? That must have been pretty shocking. Well, no, what they did was, because of the television in Holland's owned by the church, after we'd done the first set, they blacked out the concert. They pulled the plug on the second half when the riots took place because we had to do it in two halves. The Beatles had done it the year before. And it was a total riot. I mean, the second half was a, just a, a... The police tried to attack the kids who were climbing down the front and it just turned into a war really had anything like this happened before like were you the first band that kind of made these riots happen at least on the european continent like was there any precedent set before for like a band doing this this is pretty incredible um well it was quite incredible to us because we had never kind of seen that kind of violence um we were in we played Barrowland and that was always known as one of the roughest gigs in Scotland, in Glasgow. And there you were behind a cage. It's a bit like in the Blues Brothers. Uh, and we also played a gig in Ireland where we were actually behind. The whole stage was like a lion's cage. Um, and we didn't know till the curtains opened. And there, between us and the audience, were these iron bars. And the promoter said, don't worry about that, it's for your own protection. <laughs> what you because the crowd got a bit sort of wild and... Uh, it was to protect us, apparently. Phil, were you guys as popular as the Stones in Europe? Uh, at one stage, yeah. This was when you were like playing the festivals that I was referring to, like people going nuts and stuff. Did you ever play the Cavern Club? No, I didn't. Wally and John played the Cavern Club, because they were in the Femmen. Um, Wally well, well and John did a sort of Cavern album, which has sort of various different... The Big Three and the, the Short Two and the... All those kind of bands, Mersey bands. Did the Pretty Things ever play Eastern Europe? Did you ever have any trouble crossing borders in Eastern Europe or any of that stuff? Well, we got arrested. We've been arrested in Berlin twice and deported. I mean, when I say deported, they, they called for our car to be brought back. We were locked up and we were shipped back over to the West, west twice. We, we went to East Berlin. The first two times we went, we got arrested both times. Have you had much trouble crossing the border now? Because I understand you have quite a bit of experience with that because you're like an art dealer and the Eastern European <laughs> border. I had some trouble getting out of Georgia earlier this year. Georgia, Tbilisi. Um, because the customs are kind of the mafia there. And they were trying to hold me to ransom for, uh, because of the stuff I was, the pictures I bought and was trying to take out. I paid all the proper government taxes. But they had a, a, another idea about that, and uh, I had to put them in a safe house and not take them with me. I had to fly out without the pictures, but I found a place to put them before I left, so where they'd be safe. Because the apartment, I, I knew they'd come to the apartment I was in straight away the minute I left. Um, and if they could have got hold of the pictures, we'd never seen them again. How valuable were the pictures there, Phil May, of the pretty things? Like, would have you, uh, say, bought any Ron Wood paintings before? Would you... <laughs> No, it, they weren't quite at the standard of Ron, Big Ron, Big Ron Wood. Um, 
No, I mean, the thing is, they're, they're in terms of value, I mean, painting, it's very hard to put a value on them. Uh, I thought they were great paintings, obviously, because I bought them. Um, and also, when these things get stolen, they usually get trashed, because people who steal paintings, half the time, they don't know what they're to do with them once they've stolen them. So, to get rid of the evidence, they usually get destroyed, which is very sad. <laughs> Pretty things fit into this 1970s punk scene. Because I heard at one time that Nancy Spungen's mom came home one day to find some naked guys in a pool. And when she asked, who are these men, Nancy Spungen replied, oh, that's the pretty things. That's right, yeah. Do you My parents came home unexpectedly in the middle of the night while we were uh, 
we thought we were partying at Nancy's house for the whole evening. I mean, we had no intention of going home. And her parents were away on holiday or out of L.A. for a, a vacation, and they returned home unexpectedly. Um, and the old man had a complete fit. So this was in America and not in England then? No, no, it was in, uh, it was in L.A. She was, um, um, you know, she was, it was in L.A. that that happened. So those sex pistols weren't around at that time then? No, no, they weren't. No, she was just a groupie. Did you play with many punk bands? You know, like Phil Lynott played with Paul Cook and Mark Boland played with The Damned. Have many punk bands played with you? Cause we, you had... played, we played, I think, the, the, we, we had the Sex Pistols as support on their first London gig, I think, at the Lyceum. Really? Mm. Phil, the pretty things seem to be the wildest. I mean, you guys got banned from a country, fires happen. Is there anything that stands out? Like, you know, like there's that story of John Antwessel being so wasted that he, like, passed out, slumped out of a hotel window, and when he woke up in the morning, he was covered in bird shit. Is there any kind of thing that stands out with the pretty things, you know, when you compare you guys to the other bands? Um, well, I mean, one of the instances, I suppose, was when we were being kicked out of New Zealand. They had newsreel filming it us being sort of deported and put on this Air New Zealand plane. But as we got on it, Viv dropped his bag containing six bottles of whiskey all over the floor. And we didn't realise, but the, uh, a pilot of New Zealand Airways had been held up by a knife by a drunken passenger who got frightened of flying and had pulled a knife on the pilot and made him land, make emergency landing of the plane. And we didn't know this had gone on, so when we got off on the plane, they tried to take Viv's whiskey away from him, and he wasn't going to have that. So in the end, the pilot threw Viv off the plane, so having deported us, they had to put the ladder down again, the stairs down again, and Viv staggered back off the plane. And they couldn't deport him because the pilot wouldn't fly him out of New Zealand. Did you guys later light that plane on fire? It was only a small fire. So it wasn't that particular flight that the fire happened? Because that's pretty wild there, Phil May, of the pretty things. Lighting a plane on fire. That's going pretty wild. Well, it was just a kind of, you know, bit of carelessness, really. I mean, uh, we were lighting various substances. Um, so I mean, um, just a calming effect. Um, I mean, none of us like flying that much. And, and this kind of lighting of substances seemed to help us. But... Oh, I know, a seat caught light and it all got a bit out of hand. I think people made more of it than they should have done. They panicked. Phil, do you have any Peter Grant stories? Because I'm sure, you know, he was in one of your recent videos, wasn't he, Peter That's Grant? That's right, yeah. What, 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 what didn't you, did you back up Zeppelin in 1975, or how many, did you do a tour with them? Not, not with the whole of Zeppelin. P uh, Jimmy Page played with us quite a few times, would sit in at shows. Um... No, it's more that they would turn up and support the band. I mean, they'd be in the first first row of, of, of a lot of the concerts when we were touring America. They'd just fly in, on, you know, out of the blue, unannounced. What was Peter Grant like? Was he physically intimidating? Did he ever use any physical violence against you? Because seeing pictures of him, you know, being the big guy in those movies, he's pretty intense. He, he was pretty impressive um, and pretty scary. But once you got to know him, he was, uh, you know, to me, he was a... Uh, like a father. I mean, he's wonderful. Well, how would he differ, say, than Simon Napier-Bell? What was the difference between Peter Grant and Simon well, Napier-Bell? Well, completely like chalk and cheese. I mean, Simon Napier-Bell was a sort of upper-class public school. Uh, Peter was... Peter had been a professional wrestler. You know, he, he was like a gorilla. But he was such a great 
he was a fantastic guy. Um, there's a wonderful story about somebody ringing up the office, Zeppelin's office, because uh, he was a bootlegger, and he'd been bootlegging Zeppelin's, some of Zeppelin's uh, records. And Peter, the day before, with one of, probably John Binden, one of the heavies, uh, visited this guy and sort of said to him, you know, you're being a very naughty boy, and if you do this again, something really nasty might happen to you. And the guy then the next day rang up the office and said, he didn't realise who he was talking to. He said, you know, Peter, he said, I know you wouldn't condone this kind of behaviour, but this man came in like, it built like a kind of a, a, a brick shithouse. He was like a gorilla. And he said, I know you wouldn't condone this kind of behaviour, but I just want you to know that people on your staff are behaving in a most, you know, irresponsible manner. And he didn't realise he was actually talking to Peter himself. But he didn't know what Peter looked like, but it was actually Peter who went round to visit him. scene in the 1960s? <laughs> yeah. Did you ever see his first band, The Rocking Vickers? What was he like back then? Well, I didn't know him so well when he was with The Rocking Vickers. I knew him more when he was with uh, Hawkwim. Um, no, Lemmy was great. Lemmy's a character. He's extraordinary. I had a lot of fun with him. Been out on a lot of many-day binges and very drunk. He was a great friend of the princes. I mean, they were all sort of uh, getting wasted together. Did you guys get an offer to tour with the Rolling Stones a few years ago to Europe? Did that ever materialize? It was mooted. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I don't have much to do with the management of it, and I don't know kind of what discussions took place, but at one stage, I know it was being rumored. Um, how far it got, I don't know. Touring with the Stones, Dick's looking quizzical. 
do you keep much in touch with them? Like if somebody went up to Charlie Watts and said, hey, what do you guys know about the pretty things? What would Charlie Watts say? What would Charlie Watts? Well, he should remember Dick as he started off playing with him when Dick was with the Stones. <laughs> How have you got... I don't know whether you remember me. Have you seen Charlie Watts recently or talked to him or been to him? No, any... I haven't seen any of the Stones for many years. How about Mick Taylor? What's going on with Mick Taylor? Is he around at all in the London scene, Phil? Well, he tends to play in Europe a lot, Mick Taylor. We see him, see posters of Mick, or we, we play when we play to... Yeah, we tend to be in the, into a town where he played this a week before or something. Things seem to be going pretty good for you guys. Like you're playing this weekend at the Cave Stomp in New York City. That's going to be a great gig. I hope so. I think it's going to be brilliant. And you've got this brand new CD that's going to be coming out with Ronnie Spector and David Gilmore helping out. Uh-huh. Um, did Dave Gilmore talk about Sid, Sid Barrett at all? Well, we have done, because I've known Dave for about 20-odd years. Um, I know lots of Sid Barrett stories. I won't bore you with them now. But, um, I mean, the thing about the Floyd is they've always looked after Barrett. You know, I mean, they've had audits done to make sure he gets every penny that's ever going to come to him royalty-wise. Uh, you know, that he gets all the money collected around the world that, you know, is his. Um, no, they've looked after him very well. I mean, you know, considering... What happens in a lot of bands when somebody sort of, you know, goes loopy, um, they tend to be forgotten. But, I mean, the Floyd have been very circumspect about making sure that Sid's been taken care of. Well, you've been taken care of pretty well, too, Phil, you know, being an art dealer. And also, you got inv invited to the royal wedding, the royal wedding. How did you get invited to the royal wedding? Uh, well, um, like, is this my father-in-law at the time. Uh, had a grace and favour studio in Queen Mum's Palace. And that's where they chose for Lady Di to get dressed and spend the night away from her husband before, or her future husband. And um, the Queen Mum said to my father-in-law, why don't you bring your grandchildren to see the royal wedding? So I ended up watching it on the Queen Mum's telly with my kids. Were there any other rockers at the wedding? No, not that I noticed. Um, and Di hadn't sort of started her sort of mad whirl of social, um, you know, Elton John and all these people. Uh, they weren't part of it. She was a very shy young girl in a very, obviously, we can realize in hindsight, a difficult position. And Phil may have to pretty things. Skip Allen, your drummer, he runs an artificial limb factory? <laughs> he does indeed, yeah. He's, um, he's just sold it, though. I don't know what he'll get into next. But, I mean, it sounds odd, but in some ways, because he was a drummer, he managed to invent a knee, um, a knee replacement piece, which is based on how a, drum, a bass drum works. And he'd invented this thing which allows people to walk in the same way that a bass drum works. It's something to do with the same technique. I mean, he's no fool, Skipper. He behaves like a fool sometimes, but he's actually, he's, he's no mug. Things have turned out really good for you guys. I mean, for other people, it hasn't turned out so good from the 60s rock scene, I guess, Phil. Like, you know, Nicky Hopkins, Mick Taylor, Bobby Keys, Marshall Chess, like all those guys kind of had some drug problems, but you guys have survived. You're playing this weekend. Well, we had drug problems. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it, it, we had, yeah, we had lots of drug problems, and, and we certainly weren't particularly, uh, we didn't sort of shy at anything. 
But I mean, the thing with all those things is, you know, survival is, you've got to be around. I mean, it's no good just being around for a year or two. Um, you know, you have to survive to play the music. Like, what about Graham Bond? Did he commit suicide by jumping onto the tracks of an oncoming subway train? That's what they said, and he was very depressed at the time. Because that's a terrible end for Graham Bond. Yeah, terrible end. He was a great guy, really nice bloke. And when he had Ginger Baker and, um, oh, God, uh, playing bass for him, I can't remember who it was now, the Scottish guy. But he had a three-piece with Graham on organ, Ginger Baker, and oh, Jackie Bruce playing harp and bass, and it was a really, it really great blues band. Phil, have many 90s Brit-pop bands befriended the pretty things at all, you know, like Blur or Supergrass? Have you had any relationship with them at all? Well, I know Crispian from Cooler Shaker very well. I mean, he's grown up with me. I mean, you know, he, he used to come to Pretty Things gigs and... Um, I, I've watched him being into music for, since he was... He used to come and stay at my house in Spain. And um, he was actually at the uh, Abbey Road netcast we've just done. Somebody just covered one of the tracks off of Vest of Sorrow, The Lightning Seeds. And, and it, they're apparently big fans. Do you know anybody else in bands that has moved to Canada from the English 60s scene? You know, like Long John Baldwin. No, Long John's the only one I know. And I mean, I, I've kept in touch with Long John through Maggie Bell, because Long John and Maggie um, go back quite a long way. And um, she used to pass me on stories about John and how he was and stuff. What? I haven't seen him since 1964, probably. Well, Phil May of The Pretty Things, I was just wondering, well, a couple quick questions here, just winding up here with Phil May of The Pretty Things. Phil, is Van Morrison's real name Ivan? <laughs> I don't know. We're playing with him in a couple of weeks. I'll ask him. About? We're doing a couple of gigs with Van in uh, in Germany, so I'll ask him that. I mean, I I spoke to him the other day, but I didn't even I didn't have that question to ask. Ivan. Ivan. That's what Ivan I've heard. Ivan Morrison. That's what he I've heard. Morrison. And Phil may have the pretty things finally winding up here. Thanks for speaking to me, Nardwater Human Serviette. Have you ever seen John Mayles' porno collection? No, I've never. I didn't even know he had one. Quite an extensive one. It's rumored. Really. God, I'd have to ask Gazmail, his son. Maybe he's seen it. Yeah, what have your relationship been with John Mayle? Are there any pretty things, John Mayle connections at all? None at all. I mean, we've worked together a few times. Um, no, I haven't even shared a guitarist with him. I can't say I've had an ex-John Mayle guitarist playing in the pretty things. Most people have. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Phil, for your time. Keep on rocking in the free world, and do-do-do-do-do. Take care, mate. Uh, Phil, doot doot do
it's okay, that's that. So while you're sleeping, start to dream. You remember how you dance on the school scene? Yes, she named the notes, stop right on time. For the wiggle dog, wiggle and dad behind. Say hotel, motel, holiday inn. Say if your girl starts acting up, and then you take her friend. Like this, y'all, like that, y'all, to the beat, y'all. You don't stop, go hotel, motel. What you gonna do today? Gonna rock to the beat of Pookie Blow, cause this is what I say. Cause I'm Pookie Blow on the microphone. Place called New York, what's my home? And five plus six plus one, that's me. Well, bitch is right, that's right on time. Say when I die, BMED, plant two turns and clear my feet. Put my mixer next to my head, so when close the cast, I can rock the dead. So at this time, like to probably find somebody, say, let's get it on. Here I go. Hey, 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 hey. 